Well, good morning. morning. It is a good morning. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. We're continuing our journey in the book of John. Um, This morning, I want to talk about pure worshipers. Everybody say, pure worshipers. worshipers. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. It really is. So turn your Bibles, John chapter 2. I want to pray, and we're going to dive into God's Word this morning. Papa, we come. We ask that you would open our ears. God, would we see, Jesus, what you see? Lord, today I'm asking specifically that you would speak to every single heart in this room, every mind, every person. Lord, I'm asking that you would be super specific, Holy Spirit, about things that we know or maybe things that we don't know or things that we don't want to deal with. Today I'm asking as pure worshipers that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to hear what your spirit has to say today. And so, God, would you touch and speak to every one of us in Jesus' name? Amen? Amen. Well, John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. How many guys do not want Jesus making a whip for you? How many of you feel like Jesus has ever made a whip for you? How many guys know he disciplines those he loves? I just don't want the whip. Thank you very much. He made a whip. (laughs) That is so scary. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Everybody say my father's house. house. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? So. I want to take a moment and pause before we continue in the next number of verses. So Jesus is at the temple. It's during Passover and he walks into the temple and he sees stuff that he doesn't like and he does something about it. So I guess the question is, and I'll make it more personal for us. Is there things in your life you don't like? Anybody? Are there things in your life you don't like? Some stuff? Okay. I guess my question would be to all of us, what are you doing about it? Are you cleansing it? Are you working on it? Are you ignoring it? I love that Jesus didn't ignore it. He wouldn't let it slide. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit loves us so much he doesn't let you slide? I mean, we can keep ignoring him, but eventually he will get your attention. Jesus was doing that. So just historically, there's, there's discussion on if there was two temple cleansings. So any of you guys that have studied your Bible deeply, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have the temple cleansing at the very end. 
John has it at the very beginning. Now, just because John puts it at the beginning, it doesn't mean that that's chronologically accurate. So the Gospels have different stories that aren't in exact chronological order. So just because John has it at the beginning, it doesn't mean that there's necessarily a second temple cleansing. But there is some differences in John's story and then in the Synoptic Gospel story. And I want to point out a couple of the differences. As soon as Jesus turns over these tables, in verse 18, the Jews respond with, what sign can you show us? They did not say that in any of the Synoptic Gospels, right? But they asked him, what sign will you give? There was also a whip made in John, and there's no whip in any of the other Gospels. And there's also no children um, shouting Hosanna. How many of you guys remember Jesus' triumphal entry, and he goes into the temple, and the kids are singing and shouting, and he walked into the temple, and the religious leaders got mad, right? So we're going to look at that in, in John chapter 21. Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And it says, it is written, he said to them, my house. Everybody say my house. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So there's two significant things that I want to point out. One is in John, Jesus turns over tables, but then he says to them, stop turning my father's house. Everybody say father's house. Stop turning my father's house. But then in the Gospels, he says what? Everybody say it again. Say my house. Interesting. At the beginning of Jesus ministry, we don't know if there was two. A lot of scholars believe there was. This is one significant reason. Jesus didn't identify the temple as his house yet because it was early on in his ministry. And he was trying not to let all things out, even though when when we see in the Gospels, as, as soon as he turned over the tables, the Bible says that kids were singing and people came and he healed the blind and the lame. In John's Gospel, we don't see that. We see a challenge by the religious leaders saying, what sign will you show us? What's interesting to me is, wouldn't you think what Jesus just did was a sign? Come on, if somebody came into church right now and like flipped out and started like tearing stuff up, how many of you guys know that would be a sign it, that our big young usher guys need to grab the person and set them free? That's what that sign is. Why do I say that? A lot of times in Jesus' ministry, he would do things and people totally missed what he was doing because they had a mindset of what they thought things should be. So the religious leaders, after Jesus just clears the temple, knocks over tables, then they look at him and go, why don't you give us a sign? And I'm thinking, bro, he just gave you a sign and you didn't even ask why he did it. Jesus said, my father's house. Wouldn't you think they would ask him, who are you? You're calling this your father's house? Who do you think you are? But they didn't ask that. They asked for a sign. Now go to verse 19. So they ask for a sign in verse 18. And Jesus says, OK, I'll give you a sign. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. 
So Jesus challenges the religious leaders. They said, hey, Jesus, what authority do you do this? You give us a sign. And he goes, okay, how about this? You destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it back up. Now, we know that he wasn't talking about the actual building because he tells us he was talking about his body, right? But how many guys know the Jewish leaders heard what he said, and their response was, how can you rebuild this in three days when it's taken us 46 years to build this temple? Here's the great question. Do you think they were willing to tear the temple apart to see if he could actually do the sign? Not a chance. You know why? They weren't. He actually answered. They said, give us a sign. He said, great. I'll work with you on this one. Rip it down. They're like, not a chance. It's taken 46 years. Why do I say that? In the midst of all our religious things, there's times that you and I miss things that Jesus is trying to do. And we have mindsets and beliefs that can get us in trouble. So as we go through this story, they replied 46 years to build this temple and you were going to raise it up in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, which, by the way, lasted seven days. So for these seven days, while he's at this festival, many, everybody say many. Many, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So why was Jesus so upset? Like, obviously, something really, really bothered Jesus. And I've heard all kinds of commentary and people is, hey, they were selling animals inside the temple courtyards and he didn't like that. And Others were saying they were also ripping people off. So during the festival time, so you know, if you went into the temple, you could not use your Roman coinage. You had to get temple coins to buy sacrifices. So if you only had Roman coins, you would have to go to the money changers table, right? And give them Roman coins and they would give you temple coins. So then you could buy the sacrifice. How many guys have ever traveled internationally? How many guys have exchanged money? How many guys got really stewed on your way out of the country trying to get your money back at the same rate? Like when I first started traveling internationally, man, I'm about ready to throw down with guys. I'm like, excuse me? You just, that was $100 and you're giving me back 65? Like, I'm going to kill you right now. I know I'm on a, and you're on a missions trip, right? This is so sad. You're like, I just, I want you to know Jesus, but I am going to kill you. <laughs> Why do I say that? That's what was going on. They create a temple tax. Why? It's a good way to make money, right? So I believe anything that is, in, you know, unjust, Jesus doesn't like it. Fair enough. Anything that would be. But what was Jesus really, really mad at? Obviously, the sacrificial system was still the system that was in place until Jesus' death and resurrection how many of you guys know he replaced that even though the temple lasted for numerous years until 70 AD when it was destroyed? But when Jesus healed people in his ministry, 
Do you guys remember many times what he would tell them to do? Go to the priest, offer the proper sacrifice, right? Show them that you're cleansed. Jesus was not against the sacrificial system. So we know it wasn't that. So why was he so upset? Let's go to the next slide of the temple, if you would. So this is a reproduction of the second temple. This would have been Herod the Great. So as we read earlier that there's 46 years, this temple would have been started to be rebuilt in 20 B.C. Now, Jesus, depending on how you use the calendar, Jesus is either in this story there at 30 A.D. or maybe 26. Most scholars believe by the calendar that we use today, Jesus was born approximately four years B.C., not exactly at zero. You guys got that? Okay, so that would put us at about 26 A.D., which would be the beginning of Jesus' ministry. That might be a second temple cleansing. I don't know. But here is the temple. It took literally decades to rebuild. And this is where Jesus is going to come back one day. How many of you guys know the Bible says he's coming back one day? I don't know what kind of temple. I don't know what kind of thing is going to go on. But I know this. Jesus Christ is going to walk into Jerusalem and he's going to rule and reign the world. Aren't you glad? And he's so kind and he's so nice, but he's also truthful. Everybody say truthful. He will speak truth. So Jesus comes in, and I want you guys to notice a couple of things. Right here, it's called the what? Can you guys read that? What does it say? Court of the who? Court of the Gentiles. So any of you in here, if you're not Jewish, raise your hand. That's almost all of us. Some of you might have Jewish blood. That means us, right? So if you look at this temple, it's called the court of the Gentiles, then you'll notice that there's this wall, right? Do you guys see it? Okay, I want to show you what was on the wall. So go to the next slide, if you would, Scott. So there's two different stones found from 2,000 years ago. We literally have them in museums today. And these were the signs that were posted on that wall, okay? And this is what it said. They were found in Greek and Latin, and the Greek text has been translated. Foreigners must not enter inside the balustrade or into the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing... His ensuing what? Huh. Wow. Okay. And I hope you guys do this. When you read the Bible, put yourself into the story. Please don't just read some scriptures so you can check a religious box and go, I read my verses today. Like, can you imagine you're a Gentile, you're, you're searching for God, or you kind of believe in God, and you've heard about this God who does these miracles, all of Israel's history, Exodus, and all these crazy stories, and you're going to go to a festival, and you're going to find this God, and when you get there, there's a sign that says, if you go past this point, we're going to kill you. Wow. How many guys might get discouraged? Okay, question. How many signs in our culture today for people that are searching for God, but Christians have put a wall up that says something on it? You're not good enough. We don't welcome you here. I don't know. I don't know what signs there are, but I know there's a bunch of them because I've talked to a lot of people. And the truth is they're searching for God 
but the church has really, really hurt them. So I believe when Jesus does these things, I believe the biggest problem is people weren't understanding what the temple really was. He separated out the Jews and the Gentiles. Do you guys know in the first temple? Go back to the temple one if you would, Scott. Do you guys know when the first temple was built? And the tabernacle that David built? There's no court of the Gentiles. There was not one. Do you guys know that from Abraham all the way through to Jesus' time, through the prophets and others, that God said his heart was that all, everybody say all, all people would come into the kingdom, that even Gentiles would come into the temple of the Lord and know who he is. But because the Jewish and the Gentile issues, especially after the war of the Maccabeans, it got deeper. That the Jews actually trained some of their priests so that when they were doing stone cutting and masonry work, they would be the ones that go in there because they didn't want any Gentiles going in to help build the temple. That was never God's heart. Can I tell you this? This doesn't exist in God's mind. You guys see that? That doesn't exist. But I would submit to you that there's billions of people. Billions in this earth who feel like they're on the outside of that fence looking in. They really want to know a God. They're actually searching for a God. They're looking for a God that would love them and forgive them and cleanse them and help them. But there's a bunch of signs that religious people have put up. And I really believe one of the biggest chores that we have, you guys, is to start tearing walls down. I really believe that. I know a lot of us, we don't want to think we do, but I'm telling you, every single one of us has some prejudice. Every one of us has some kind of sign. Every one of us has something that would say something to somebody that could be very hurtful. And Jesus wants us to change that, right? So <laughs> when Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple, like we know in the Old Testament, that's not his heart. Like we know that he loves us, but... I want to turn the story a little bit into who we know Jesus to be and who we're supposed to be. So how many of you guys are the temple of the Holy Spirit? OK, so if you're a Christian, are you really the temple? No, really. Did we just read that and think that? Did you guys know that Paul says, don't you know, in first Corinthians chapter three, don't you know that you're. The temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, is there anything in our lives that is putting a wall up that might be stopping people from coming to know God? I would suggest to you that God is holy. We should have got a really big amen right there. Some of you are going, but I could feel where you're going and I don't like it. I said, I would submit to you that God's holy. I would submit to you that God is so kind and gracious that we can't even comprehend how kind he is. But I would also submit to you that there comes a point in time through all scripture that God finally says enough is enough. Now, normally in Christianity, we start pointing to the world and we start pointing to the sin of people out there about how crazy the culture is and how wacko it is. And we love to point out there and go, look at how crazy it is. But Jesus never seems to do that a whole lot. 
he seems to be calling out the religious people. Everybody say, that's me. Come on, say, that's me. I know none of us want to be this. I know you guys like, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Sadducee. I'm like, there's a little Pharisee and Sadducee in all of us. Just saying. Let me give you some examples. Cultural issues, political issues, other issues we face today. We're so strongly opinionated. How many guys know we should really hate things that aren't good? Come on. You should dislike things that you know are are hurting the fabric of our culture or people, right? But you're also supposed to, and I'm supposed to actually love the person that has the complete opposite beliefs of you. You're supposed to love them so radically and pull down any wall that separates that they would want what you have. How many guys know that's what Christians should be doing? So here's my question. If you and I are the temple, what's happening in your life? What's going on in you and I to keep that temple holy? What's going on that we might have an invitation that signs and wonders? Why would people, Gentiles, travel for thousands of miles to go to this temple in Jerusalem? Why would they do that? Because they heard the stories. They heard the stories of the God of Israel who healed people and touched people and did miracles and delivered people and brought them out of Egypt and it gave them hope. That's the God that they heard about. Our culture has heard about our God. A lot of people have heard about Jesus. I just wonder. I wonder what's happening with the Gentiles that are outside that court, that are are right there in that court and you're thinking, Okay, like I came for thousands of miles and what you're telling me is this is where God is, but I have to stay out here. That's what you're telling me. Do you know how much it cost me to get here? Are you guys serious? You're like literally telling me that I spent thousands of dollars and came thousands of miles to try to know who your God is because I heard he's amazing. And you're telling me I can't even go in where your God is. I don't mean in the holy of holies, but how about just right here? What, what do you think those Gentiles? Now, remember, this was full of animals. Now, the Jews would have said, oh, you, you Gentiles can come in. Do you guys know man made that court? Come on. Do you guys realize man made that court, not God? God had no wall. Not only did they make the wall, they literally made up the rules. And they, this is what they said. You cannot go past this. And if you go past this, we will kill you. Let me translate. Religious leaders, religious people, i.e., hey. This isn't what God said, but we don't really like you. Ah, no, they didn't say it quite like that. We don't really like you. And so guess what? You can have this space. And guess what it's full of? (laughs) Bulls and sheep and crap. Seriously. You guys know what a sheep pen is full of. Think about this. You can't go in where the holy stuff is. You stay out here. And not only do you stay out here, you stay out here where it's all a big mess. Wow. I wonder what they heard. I wonder what they felt. 
What were these seekers thinking when they stood out there and they couldn't even go in? I wonder what they heard people saying. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if people hear you and I at a restaurant talking about social issues and political issues from our Christian perspective. And somebody might be really hungry for God and they hear us doing our little Christian talk. And they thought, wow, if that's what that is, I don't want to go in. Can I tell you there's a giant wall in the body of Christ? I, I, I believe this. God's trying to tear this wall down. This, is, this, this wall right here is bondage. So the Jews said, not only do we make these rules, we're actually willing to break God's law if you break our law. Our law, this isn't God, this is our law. If you pass this point, I'll actually break God's law that says, do not murder. If you pass my law, I will actually kill you. How many of us kill people with our tongue? Gentlemen, more than ladies, how many of you are killing your own spirit, your own temple because of your eye gate or your ear gate? See, I'm telling you, God is holy. And he wants purity. And we don't like to talk about it. And I think we're afraid to talk about it. And I think leaders are petrified to talk about it. Because we're afraid that if we actually deal with it, people will leave. Well, I believe this. If we'd actually do it and be honest that we're part of the problem too. And that we got junk. And that leaders have the same problems that everybody else. Maybe we could start talking to each other and helping each other. And setting up the next generation for success instead of failure. There's a thought. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I want to meditate on a song. I actually heard it. The youth did it on Fire Friday. It was really, really good. It's called Pure. And I want us to sit here for a few minutes. And if you're online, just go with the flow. But I want us to take a few minutes. And I want you guys to ask yourself the question. Do I have a wall up? Am I hindering anybody? Am I so absorbed in my own personal life that I don't even really care? I mean, here's the saddest part to me. The saddest part to me would be that there are millions of Christians who don't even care. It's like, I'll say whatever I want, pastor. You know what? I don't like those things. And I'll just say whatever I want. I'm like, well, good on you, bro. But let me, let me give you one little pushback on that. Because I'm guilty. I've done it, and I still do it, and I still have struggles, and I don't even want to talk about it. But we will. Let me give you one little pushback. One day, one day, you're going to stand before Jesus. Paul, Paul did it again. He does this on a regular basis. It, it, it's, really, <laughs> it's really Paul's way of kind of smacking you a little bit. Corinthians, they were known for being super spiritual people. You guys know that, right? The church of Corinth was like, wow, the spirit's moving. Look at the spirit. But Paul goes deeper. By the time he gets to chapter three, he goes, I can't even talk to you guys as meat eating adults. You think you are, but I have to feed you milk because you're not mature enough to eat the meat. Then he looks at him. And he goes, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Second Corinthians, second later, chapter five. This is what he says. Don't you know? Everybody say, don't you know? 
Paul uses it almost ironically of, of course you know this. Church, I know you know this. We just don't want to look at it. I know you know that you're going to stand. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Don't you know you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Don't you know that? Now, look, I'm not here pointing at you as if you're the problem. I'm telling you it's a leadership issue because for many of you, we haven't prepared you because you're actually kingdom of priests. You are the temple of God, but you don't feel like it and you haven't been equipped. And I'm telling you, in this house, we're going to equip you and we're going to help you and we're going to get real about all of it. For real. No hiding, no running. As real as we're going to get in all of those things, we're also going to speak truth because I will not stand before Jesus. I'm not going to get before Jesus and go, you know what? I know what you were telling me. I didn't want to do it, man. I was kind of afraid, actually, because I think people, what if they judge me? And what if they're this? And he goes, look, I understand that. You get judged anyway. People talk shiz about you all the time, boy. You don't like it? Get a new job. Seriously, do you guys know people don't like you just because you're a Christian? Do you ever notice there's a spiritual war going on just because you're a Christian? Like you don't even have to do anything except be in Christ and the enemy puts a target on you. And now the Lord's asking us, what will we do? Will we honestly deal? Will we walk in purity? There's a day coming. You guys, there's a day coming. We're going to stand before him. I don't want to stand before him and go, well, yeah, I read all the stats and I know there's sexual problems and emotional problems and stuff in the church, but God, it's overwhelming. And actually, I don't know how to deal with my own. I don't know how to deal with my own struggles and lust. So how am I going to say anything to anybody else? I don't even have all the answers. All I know is I'm not going to not talk about it. That's what I do know. What I do know is talking to some of my friends about it has saved my life. For real. Like, you guys don't even know. I want to take a few minutes and I want us to sit and I want you to see yourself the way Jesus sees you. He sees you as pure. He sees you as the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as a priest. Oh, I was like, I don't even know what that means. We're going to have to keep learning what it means because it's who you are. It's who he says you are. You are his temple. So let's just soak in this song for a few minutes.